0: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have a bit of a different show for all of you listeners today. Now, normally when we speak with a player or a coach from across levels in the tennis world, we typically house that conversation on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. However, if you hop over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed right now, you will see a plethora of episodes labeled Sweet 16 Press Row. That, of course, is a to the NCAA Tournament Round of 16 happening this weekend as the college tennis postseason enters its home stretch in our attempt to provide the best kind of coverage to all of you college tennis fans out there. I am attempting to speak with each of the 32 remaining head coaches prior to the start of this NCAA Tournament Round of 16. If you have missed any of those episodes, again, you can find them all on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can also head on over to our website, CrackedRackets.com to catch out on any of the episodes you are looking for. With that said, as excited as we are for the 2022 college tennis postseason, we are also well aware that there are many storylines currently unfolding across levels in the tennis world. And one of the storylines you may have forgotten about is the attempted comeback of a former top 100 ATP player, as well as the 2010 NCAA men's singles champion. Of course, I'm referring to Bradley Klein, who's going to make his return to the court in Paris as he uses his protected rankings to get into protected ranking, excuse me, to get into French Open qualifying. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with Brad about why he continues to fight so hard to get back on court and his career on his terms. We also wanted to talk to him about his decision to go to college. Certainly, Brad, one of the top juniors in the world, could have pursued pro tennis right off the bat. He elected to go to Stanford, which, again, may sound like a pretty simple decision. When Stanford offers, you kind of go, and that's the argument he makes as well. But he also talks about why college tennis was so good for him and why he thinks so fondly about his experience. Now, we also wanted to ask him again about the difficulties of life on the pro tour, not just trying to get better as a tennis player, but the loneliness and the struggles you experience as you attempt to send the rankings it is a fascinating conversation today with Brad that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy I should also say my formative years of college tennis fandom 2006 to 2013 I mean again smack dab right overlaps with the career of Bradley Klon and watching he Ryan Thatcher Alex Clayton those Stanford teams near and dear to my heart one of the first teams I ever watched as I got into the college tennis world so super excited to have the opportunity to speak with Brad and again why is this a great shot podcast today and not on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed because we have enough Cracked Interviews this week and we wanted to get this episode out to you all as soon as possible. So I know all of you are going to enjoy our check-in today with Bradley Klon. Of course, before we get there, I have to give a massive shout-out to our friends at Turner who support this podcast day in, day out, week in, week out, regardless of the topic. They also support tennis players everywhere by providing some of the best equipment in the business, whether it's grips, whether it's strings, you name it, they've got it. You can learn all about the Turner team by emailing them today by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Of course, you mentioned Crack Rackets sent you the hook you up with free samples, hook you up with discounted prices, treat you like family. Again, it would mean the world to us if you express some support for our friends at Turner after all the support they've shown us over the years. The least we can do is ask you to do the same. Again, email sales at uniquesports.com today to join the Turner family. But with all of that said, let's get to it. Very excited to share my conversation with all of you. So here it is, my talk with the one and only Bradley Clon. Hey crack fans, Is tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do I use on my racket I use the mega attack you're gonna be attacking with that mega attack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at crack rackets you know I'm a hairy guy as you can imagine I sweat when I play the only grip that works for me is the turn of tennis grip of course the mega attack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turn of grip today it's simple you're gonna either find it wherever you buy your tennis go the mega Attack, the tackiest grip on the market. Contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at Turn of to Tennis today. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a guest you all may know best as a former Top 100 player on the ATP Tour. Of course, a former NCAA singles champion as well while at Stanford. He's a guy I know best as Bradley Klon. Brad, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate it. It's great to join you here. Oh, it is my pleasure. And I will say this. I was born 1995. Why is that relevant? Because, you know, when you're a teenager, that's when you're most fan crazed, right, about tennis. And for me, it was always college tennis. And I will go to my dying day saying Klon Thatcher Clayton is as good of a top three as I have ever seen in college tennis.
1: That we—that uh, was a good time for us. Those those yeah. three years together at Stanford, we I always thought that with that top three, uh we could hang with any team you know sc was uh, quite the challenge during my four years at school but they had you know, i remember their top three my freshman year was farah johnson poldma and yeah. that's a pretty pretty formidable top three if i've ever seen one as well so uh yeah A lot of big names back then.
0: No, no doubt about that. They say Yach Poldma is the forgotten talent of that generation of California tennis players. And he went off to what? Do oil things or whatever?
1: He, uh, you know, I think the last time I ran into him, he's, I think he's at a law firm. And I ran into him years after he was done in a Geneva hotel. I had just flown in from Rome. You know, we were doing the whole clay court swing. Mm -hmm. Uh Flew in from Rome, landed, got to the hotel at 12.30 a.m. And the first person I see in the Geneva Hotel is Jaak Poldman. They're on a business trip. And, you know, talk about a blast from the past and just really excited to, you know, one of those guys you're always excited to see.
0: Yeah, you're probably like, yuck, did you get a wild card into qualifying? And he's like, I did not, but I it's good to see you, Brad. Always a pleasure. I will say, we can get this out of the way first because I want you to be as angry as me as possible before we get into this interview. 2011 at Stanford, quarterfinals of the NCAAs. You beat Shabazz, Thatcher beats Damajan. I think you guys took the doubles point as well to, to get that three points. It comes down to Sonam Singh versus Alex Clayton. I know you guys come up short, but that's got to be a top three match in your life,
1: right? It was, you know, that being able to host NCAAs at Stanford was a bigger reason why I came back to school after winning the NCAAs my sophomore year. Um, Obviously, getting a Stanford degree never hurt anyone either. (laughs) My four years at school, I loved the friend group that I had established And I I just love being a part of the team, but definitely being able to host NCAAs, getting to that round of 16, getting that experience. It's, it was an atmosphere that we didn't have. It's just, it's not replicated in the round, you know, in the regular season, it's not replicated in the first two rounds. There's just that buzz when you get all 16 teams there on your home campus, the crowds, and we'd get some decent crowds for SCUCLA, but there was nothing like, the way the the student body rallied, uh, the whole community rallied around coming out. You know, Texas A and M playing under the lights uh, on the Thursday night and getting that win, and then you know, just yeah, we you know we came up short. It was a really it was a tough match against UVA, but you know, one of the best atmospheres I played in front of, and also just being able to share that with your teammates, it's a totally different experience on the pro circuit i've had some incredible memories uh, you know i've been able to play on center court wimbledon i've played some great matches at the us open and it's you know those are those are memories that you dream of as a kid and you you know you watch 10, 10 11 12 years old watching uh, i mean i remember watching sampras and agassi and Roddick on those courts and you know you want to be there, and then to make it happen is you know, incredible. But it's they're two very—it's it, hard to compare because they're just two totally separate feelings. One is all on your own. One is you know you're playing for your team, your school. It, it's just a different, you know. I I never had the experience of playing Davis Cup, but I imagine and mm-hmm. uh, talking to the guys as well, you know that's probably more comparable.
0: No, I I completely would, that that sentiment resonates with me. I would say in particular, the 40 minutes of a doubles point is the most exciting thing you will ever see in any form of tennis. I don't care. Wimbledon center court. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Rafa Federer fifth set at Wimbledon, maybe, but like, that's what we're talking about. The Heights, in my opinion, from an energy perspective, just the buzz, uh, all of that. And Look again, I've I've got plenty of questions about your Stanford days, but one of the you know, you, you mentioned something there that I'd like to follow up on in that, you know, you did elect after winning an NCAA singles championship to come back to school. And as you mentioned, a Stanford degree is, you know, uh, never something you want to turn down, but right. I'm curious about the playing opportunities that you had in that time because certainly one of the reasons we want to you have you on today is to talk about the Southern California Pro Circuit, a series of six events happening from the end of May to mid-July that we here at Crack Rackets so happy to be a part of. Were those sorts of plans... Because again, yeah, you had the wild card into the U.S. Open, but you, know, you weren't getting into challengers right away and finding those futures opportunities, places to travel, places to play. I imagine that's probably the thing you weigh the most before deciding whether to turn pro or
1: not. Yeah, I mean, I guess my my strategy was probably maybe a little bit different because I had always placed my my family had always placed a huge importance on education. And it was always this idea of we'll support your tennis, but you know, use your tennis to get a degree. You know, it was always use your tennis to get the best degree possible to set yourself up for um, your future. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone in my family, like I always had goals to play professional tennis and they became more real as I, you know, had some success through juniors and then into college and then winning NCAAs. And you start to like, I, I get the wild card, but it was always like there's life after tennis. And that's what my family and those close to me have always stressed is, you know, there's certain chapters in your life and tennis is just going, playing professional tennis is just going to be one of those chapters. Um, so I didn't necessarily, like it, it was more about going back and getting my degree and recognizing that I would be 21 years old when I graduated. And I know when you watch Alcaraz dominate the field uh, week in, week out at 19 years old, <laughs> 21 might seem uh, like you're behind, but realistically 21 is still quite young. Um, and so I didn't feel like I'd be set back, but I was fortunate that there were a lot of tournaments over the summer that I could play. And when I was after my freshman year, I played a lot of futures. I did the, I think it was Rochester, Pittsburgh, Peoria swing, Uh, on the green clay and i played some of the futures in southern california in the fall sanford was on the quarter system and we didn't start until end of september so i played one of the futures there and I, i was fortunate after winning NCAA's. i got a couple challenger wild cards during the summer so it was even though i went back to school those you know whether you want to call them experiences lessons just opportunities were invaluable for me because it, it started micro dosing pro tennis in into myself and getting a taste of that understanding you know just the nuances of the game where you're lacking a little bit in your own game and also how to manage the tour there's a lot more than just x's and o's and tennis when you're out there on the tour it's it's the nutrition it's managing your stress levels it's handling the travel, um, the ups and downs of, like, motivation and loneliness and not always having, you know, you don't, especially when you're starting out, you don't have a team around you. Like, when you watch tennis on ESPN and you watch the slams and you see the top guys and it's, you know, they always pan to the box and they've got, you know, you see eight guys Mm -hmm. and girls just, you know, on their feet on edge, supporting the players on court. And then you go to the, you go to the futures, you go to the challengers and you might be lucky if you have a coach or a physio or a family member, a a girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever. And it's just like, it's, it's a very different reality than what's broadcast to the, the masses. Um, And there's only one way to learn that (laughs) you have, you have to go through it and you have to take your lumps and you have to experience the highs and the lows. And, you know, you can ask, it's always like talk to the people who've gone through it before you and find mentors. But at at the end of the day, it's, everyone's experience is a little bit different and how they navigate it. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I completely understand that. And, you know, again, from uh, the more you talk to players, the more you hear those sorts of things. I believe you made your first Futures final in September of 2009, which uh, I believe would have been, what, right after uh, your freshman year of college. And so, you know, I am curious because you talk about that transition and the loneliness you feel. You know, you were the number one junior in the country here in the United States. You're an 18s, you know, Kalamazoo finalist and a Winter Nats champion, IT, you know, USTA International Spring Championship winner as well. I'm sure you had support in the juniors. Mm-hmm. Like, it is it even that draft? Because, you know, junior tournaments, I suppose, you're not going to have the Well, did you have the full team in the juniors? Were you one of the USTA guys? Do you feel like you had accesses two resources, perhaps 18 and under that those first years in the pros, like you just did not have access to.
1: Yeah. I mean, and look, I, I definitely benefited from the USTA's help, you know, Mm -hmm. in in spurts throughout my junior career, I would do some camps. I mean, I, I I never can, I got, I went to public school and that was important to me and, um, that back then that wasn't necessarily looked on that fondly of like, um, and a lot of the guys that I was peers with were homeschooled and could do more of the training. And, and so I I was fortunate for sure that they included me in some of the trips, but I, I couldn't do everything. I, you know, I just, I couldn't miss school. And then, um, but I had, I had my team at home. I had my longtime coach Lee Mary, who has been with me to this day, and has just been that constant presence in my tennis career. And he was always very good about helping find, like, bringing in other voices, bringing in other hits, even like whether it was voices or hits, but controlling the message and making sure that I stuck with the plan and, you know didn't veer off. It's very easy when you get a lot of voices in your head, it's very easy to, you know, what message to trust. Um, I've seen Rafa talk about this before and just how important it's been to keep his same team together um, and and building up that trust in chemistry. So I was very fortunate with that. And I had a close-knit family that was very supportive uh, of all of us and, um, the sacrifices that my parents and siblings made to give me the ability to chase my dream in tennis is, is second to none. I mean, there's, there's no real way for me to repay them other than just continuing to give my best efforts and just acknowledge the fact that, you know, Lee and my family have played a huge part in this. Um, but, but I certainly, you know, instrumental truly, um, but, I de- you know, I, th- that said, like, bringing it back to some of the USDA stuff, and, you know, I, I benefited from the collegiate team, I think. Uh, I don't know if they st- – I think they still do I, I, in, in, a, in a limited role. Yeah, okay. Because I, I know it's it's changed yeah. over the course, and this is scary to stay, but that was, you know, 13 years ago when – I Terrifying. I – I- did, did you ever watch the movie Big Fat
0: Liar? No. Okay. That movie came out in 2002 and it came okay. up to me. I was talking with some friends yesterday. I was like, that was 20 years ago. And you're like, yeah, yeah you won the NCAA championships over a decade, which is just devastating for both of yeah. us, over a decade. Yeah. Like, I'm crushed.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long – I mean, my 10-year college reunion is coming up in October. Oh, my God. That, that hits, hits home. But yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I, benefited from the collegiate team. They took us to some of those futures and gave us that experience there. And, and when I was starting out on tour, I, you know, I had the strong junior and college career. I worked with, you know, the USTA was helpful and I trained in Carson a lot of the time. Um, they I never had a consistent coach with them I you know it was one of those things where you benefit from free coaching and obviously with the finances just starting like the financial strain just starting out as a professional is is difficult and you, you see that a lot with guys it's do you hire a coach? Do you not? But like, if you're not making the money, so I benefit. I I don't
0: mean to cut you off. Is that the
1: biggest cult or is that the biggest
0: shock when you go out on tour? Is it, you know, again, you talk about the loneliest, but is it the finances and managing the finances and being, and I apologize, but it's just like, things cost money.
1: Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's when you're in college, you get things covered. (laughs) Um, whether it's the team or with the, with the collegiate team, they would, you know, I think we got a grant or I don't remember exactly how it worked, but, um, when you go off on your own, it's a business. And I think that's kind of the biggest shock is we've played this game. We love for, you know, for me, it was 11 years up to that point for a lot. It's even longer. I got started later, but you play it because you love it and you love the challenge and you want to, you like competing and you want to try and find ways to win. And it's more that just you're in the trenches and, and then you get out onto the tour and it's, it's a whole new world. You're not just playing for the fun or the glory or like, you know, winning. It's like, okay, this is how I'm going to put a roof over my head and food on the table. Uh, And, how like what tournaments am i going to play how am i going to maximize obviously the, the top 100 is kind of the benchmark if you get in the top 100 you get in the slams things escalate from there so like now it becomes about scheduling what's the best schedule that i can play to get there while not neglecting my development and 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 yeah you know i think for most players that's That is a big stress that you have to learn how to manage on tour and know that it's always going to, it's, it's going to be there in different forms, but you still have to, at the end of the day, it's when you step onto the court, your mind has to stay between the lines and it's, you have to perform and perform doesn't mean the top of your, you're never going to play to the best of your abilities every single day, but it's you only have to be better than the guy across the net from you on that day. Mm-hmm. And, and no. that could look really ugly. Um, and a lot, you know, a lot of my matches early on did look ugly. Like I, I remember bouncing around, um, bouncing around coaches, just the first year on tour, having some success and, But nothing really sustainable, like nothing really that gave me like, oh, I can do this other than the first summer. Like I think the my most like one of my most rewarding, I guess, stats was I didn't lose in the first round of a tournament from the time I turned pro until February, like end of June until February.
0: Do you remember who that first loss was, to? I have
1: it in front of me. Yeah, it was Jesse Levine and Dan yeah. And then yeah. Jeff Levine again in San Jose.
0: <laughs> good call. Uh, by the way, three set loss to Levine, so let's be clear here. he's yeah. still pretty good. And just to, for some context for your listeners, uh, as you mentioned, you starting the Vancouver Challenger that January, you win, I think it's, uh, eight consecutive matches, uh, first matches uh, all the way through 2013. Then, by the way, in 2013, 19 and six in first matches as well. A lot of that at the Challenger level. But to your point, and again, I apologize for interrupting, that's almost the hardest part, right, is realizing, A, you go from college where you're beating Shabazz four and two. You may lose once a month or once yeah. every three weeks, certainly not every week. Like That is the hard, finding that consistency week in, week out, That that is something to feel pride about.
1: Yeah, no, and that was something that I always hung my hat on and just throughout my career is competitiveness, right? And I always say the first round matches are never about the the tennis it's always about who wants it more and that was something that i could always control you know that was i couldn't control the the balls the wind like any of the outside factors but i could control how much that match meant to me and what i was going to do to try and figure out a way to win and so that helped but i i could never get over the hump i could never I never made it past the court. I, I know I never made it past the quarters of a challenger until Winnetka, 2013, which marked the start of my second year on tour. And I, you know, around that time, I had a real. I remember having a really tough loss at Wimbledon and in qualifying. I was I was serving five four forty love in the third set, and I served for the match again, and I lost. And I remember being devastated and just really struggling feeling like i'd put the work in and just like overly stressed on tour like thinking that they're like wanting the results to happen too much and i remember coming back home after that and just having a great week of practice and just really being like well you know the only thing i can control is how hard i work and the results will come when they come and I had started working. I did a little, the USTA had sent Stan Boster over for Dennis Kudla and I in Bordeaux and Paris. And Clay has never been a strong suit of mine. And it, I really, uh, you know, I did not, it did not go how I would like, but Stan and I got our working every day. And it, it was, it wasn't because of the work and Stan and I built a, a good relationship there. And he saw that I was, you know, I don't know if slipping through the cracks is the right, you know, maybe the right way to say it, but I was bouncing around coaches and he just was like, I'm going to, he was with the USTA at the time. And he'd said, you know, he had Bjorn and Mitch uh, for and Mitch Krueger and was like, you know, I'll help you. Um, You'll join our group. And just, brought me under his wing and having that presence on the road that, you know, I would always had Lee and Lee has been a constant presence throughout my career. Um, but then travel with me and then having Stan on the road is that, you no, know, you know, that guy who was day in, day out on court, just, I started to find the confidence in myself, just having a little bit more stability and, it took off I mean I that was really the summer where I started to believe and and Stan also helped gave me that a little bit of that extra that extra belief in myself that I had the tools and it was just finding that confidence and it really you know I look back on that time and just it was such a whirlwind we were just on Oh, all the time. I mean it you know we just put play, I played and played and played and I, I was 22 23 you know it's it's hard to do that now at 31 but when I was young I just wanted to go we we get on the plane and we go every, anywhere um, mm-hmm. and it was you need the opportunities like you you need to play like you just have to play at that age you need to you need to see different players we went to australia we went to asia um i learned a lot by traveling out of the country as well less distractions more a little bit more stress because different cultures obviously australia is easier it's you know australia has always been a place that i have loved to go just because the the culture shock is borderline non-existent relative to if you're going to go to Europe or Asia and the language barrier that, um, and the food and just like all these little things that add stress to your performance underneath the surface that if you're not aware of it's easy for them to eat away at you. And I really just by traveling outside the country, I really learned how to handle that and still be able to perform perform at the level that I needed to.
0: You talk about the need to play as many matches as possible. 2013, you go 56 and 26 overall, which by the way, Bravo, that's 82 matches, 56 victories. I'm sure anyone would take that. And, I'll just throw one more tangent in here. 2013 was the year of Philip Pelua, where he makes all four Junior Slam finals and wins the last two. So, yeah, it was a 9-7 loss in the third, but that was the year of Philip. So he was beating everyone. I wouldn't take that one too harshly uh, if I was you. But, you know, again, obviously now, and I want to talk about you coming back, heading to Paris to get back on court, which we're all so excited about. But, you know, again, 2013, you play 82 matches. That's a ton of tennis to put on the body. Looking back, and yeah. obviously it's easy to say this in retrospect, but when you're giving advice to players who are making that transition or are trying to go test themselves on the pros, because you nailed it, there is that thought of, I need to play matches. And in particular, to your point, I loved your strategy of, I'm going to go out of the country to play these matches because I don't need to see Kudla. I don't need to see Odesnik. I don't need to see Bogomolov. Like you've seen all of those guys your entire life. I want to go see, you know, the other BK, Bryden Klein or, you know, Ito or Daniel or all of these yeah. different guys that said, looking back, did you play too many matches or, you know, again, what balance would you have struck perhaps differently?
1: Yeah. I, mean, I think the, so the biggest thing is, right. Tennis is a global sport. Name me another sport where you're playing year round and traveling to 15 different time zones and playing different places. You know, I look at the stretch to get top 100, where I went three weeks in Northern Cal, was it two weeks or three weeks? I think it was three weeks in Northern California, um, and then did two weeks in Australia, one week in Korea, one week in Japan, back to back. So we're talking 2013, right? Yeah. Let me
0: let me just provide some perspective because to your point, it's ridiculous. So you go Lexington last week of July. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to go consecutive weeks here. You go Binghamton Challenger, obviously. uh, You go from Binghamton in New York to Lexington in Kentucky. Then you go to Vancouver. Then you go to Aptos. Then you go play the U.S. Open. And then to your point, it goes Napa, Sacramento, Tiburon one week to travel, Melbourne uh tro- – I'm not going to say it, right, but you're still in Australia, and then you're in Southeast Asia, right? So, to your point, it's like you played 10 weeks in – 10 out of 12 weeks in three different continents.
1: Yeah. It's – you know, it was one of those th- – like, we had a goal in mind. We wanted to finish the year top 100 and put myself in Australia, main draw, to start the year. And – I accomplished it. <laughs> it was one of those, you know, it's one of those things where if you put your put your mind to something and y- you'll find a way to get it done. Um, you know, I think yeah, like, you know, I think what probably once I got there, you you need like you need a break at some point. Like you can't and it's it's easy and when your body's running on adrenaline and you're just kind of on this high, you can go, you can push it probably further than you think, Mm -hmm. but you also have to worry about and just not even worry, but be mindful of the, the downslope after that. Like you always come off that high at some point. And how do you manage that as well? Where you it's, tennis is a roller coaster every week you're losing some weeks you have a great week you break through you win a title and then two days later you're already out of the next tournament yeah. and it's 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 a lot of emotions up and down and how do you manage to stay ride it without kind of letting your your confidence roll with the emotions of it and you know looking back on it yeah i i played too much and you know i'd even argue that it it started the next year in 2014 where i just tried to pick up where i left off and i i played six or seven weeks and and i still remember actually i know exactly where things started to fall apart was i i put i won the challenger in maui and then i went back to australia and my back completely spasmed on me in the semis of that turn the tournament that i won where i was tossing it out to the side serving and i was like i, I whatever like I'm, I'm winning this match of six two up a break and, and and now i'm in the finals and it's like well i'm here like i might as well figure out and like we found a chiropractor in west lakes who was sponsoring the tournament and he manages it you know, pack me up, give me some shots to do at home. And like, yeah, I didn't feel great the next day, but it was one of those where it was like, Ito was a guy played many times. So I felt comfortable playing him. It was someone that I had, I think at that point I had a winning record against and I was like, I'm freaking winning this title. Like I've come all the way down here. And this is, this is the mentality that got me to that point. Um, And I won. And and like, uh, you know, I, I, it was an ugly match, but I I toughed it out. And yeah, like I, you know, I was, my body was a wreck. Um, and, and then I came back and I, Delray beach was my first ATP event that I'd gotten into on my own ranking. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was one of those where, and this is kind of the mindset that I would, urge people coming up to be cautious of is your career is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's easy. There is always, it is very easy to always feel like you're missing out on a tournament because there's tournaments going on every week. Everyone's grabbing points this week or that week. And if you get too caught up in watching the fluctuations and this guy did well here this week or that week, you get caught chasing and i got caught chasing there a little bit and wanting to play Delray beach and i was you know i it was it, it's never a good sign when you get on the the plane and you're like oh god am i really doing this again <laughs> like, yeah because that was never me like it's always been you know this was always something i loved like traveling overseas i it was an adrenaline rush getting on the plane to go to these places Mm -hmm. so that you know it's I think kind of the biggest lesson I learned is actually listening and and unfortunately it's you know I've had three back surgeries I haven't like it's it's hard to break like yeah in some ways I've, I've had a hard time breaking that That mindset that is, you know, certain mindsets and characteristics help get you to certain places, but that's not necessarily best for you after a certain point. And like, you have to learn to evolve and, and adjust and, you know, what got you, like what got me to 60 might not exactly be the same process that was going to help me try to get to 50 or 40 or whatever the goal was. Um, so it's, yeah, you know, I, I just think it's important that you really listen to, like, the body's pretty powerful. It'll tell you, you know, if if you're able to kind of quiet the mind and listen to what it's telling you, like, know to use that example from Delray beach if, if i'm not excited to get on the plane like and and feeling run down like that's probably a good sign that i hadn't recovered from yeah. you know the whole stretch from 2013 and then right back into 2014 the first two months
0: Well, with that in mind, because you mentioned this before we started the podcast, you are about to head over to Paris, and obviously you have the opportunity to use your protected ranking and uh, get into some events, get back on court. Talk to me about the impetus to that. Is that mind over body? How is the body feeling? How is the back? Because obviously, you know, we've all missed that lefty forehand for all of us and (laughs) just that little shove backhand down the line. Who doesn't (laughs) miss that? Uh, But how is the body feeling and what gets you back on court now?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, when I when I got injured in 2020, I guess it was Split was the last match that I played. And it was the first time I'd ever retired in the middle of a singles match in my career. And I felt like that's, for me, that's saying a lot because I've certainly, like, my back's gone out in matches plenty of times and it's always been like, well, we're going to figure this out. Like you call it physio, you, you know, you do what you can, you put heat on it. And like, I, I, I don't always win those matches, but it was always this, like, I I'm not going to concede. I'm not like, they might beat me, but they'll still have to earn it. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, that's kind of, you know, I it speaks a little bit to the mentality that I talked about earlier and like, you've got a goal and I, I just, I was all, I would always work to that goal. And, um, I, it just really didn't sit well with me. <laughs> sure. To honest to re- retiring that way. And, um, you know, every, everyone's like, from, for me, the, the challenge has been my back. Everyone on tour is fighting through something like, you know, it's the the tour is a long, it's a long season and you don't have time to really recover before you go again. And everybody's dealing with stuff. And I just, you know, I didn't want that to be the end of my career. I think everyone Everyone wants to be able to write their own script. And and not everybody's script is going to be Peyton Manning winning a Super Bowl and, and off into the sunset or, or Sampras winning the US Open and ending you know, on its own terms, you know, but as a Grand Slam champion. But everyone wants and for me that was something powerful and motivating. And as I thought about it, it was this isn't the way I want to go out. You know, I, I still had goals. I still thought that I could, you know, can be top 50 and that, that, you know, that was kind of the next benchmark. Like I I got to 63 in the world. What's, you know, top 50 is kind of the next big one. Um, But the, and the more I thought about it, the more, the, the number isn't necessarily, what's driving me it's you know it's you know i i I look back at that time when i got to my career high and it was i was the most miserable i'd ever been uh, it was i started getting panic attacks i was not happy on tour and so i started thinking i was like well if if my career high is highlighted by some of the most miserable I felt is a like Bradley calling the person, like what's top 50, like, if, you know, like what am I chasing? And it, it boiled down to, I want to like, I want to play because I give myself the chance to play because I actually like find that childhood love of tennis again, that got me into the sport mm-hmm. before it became a business and, and go out and, and just play free and play, like have fun and just see where it, see where it takes me and be able to, you know, I I've for 16 months I've worked daily with my physical therapist and strength and conditioning coach, just to give myself a chance to Mm -hmm. be able to play tournaments again. And, you know, I like I'll, be very honest i a lot of times i was trying to like convince myself that it could happen again uh, sure there's there's a lot of self doubt a lot of why would you try to do this after three back surgeries like, wh- what do you like you've had a you know i've had a career it I've had a good career, but it also took me a while to get to that point where I could be proud of my career, right? We're always, like, we're always chasing that next tournament or the ranking, and a little bit of it is, like, you never feel like it's quite good enough. Like, you always need a little bit something more, and I I got to the point where during the rehab where it was a little bit of, okay, I don't need to chase – something else like if the results happen they'll happen because uh i worked hard like i always do and it i mean it it also just takes like you need a little bit of luck right like a tournament has a little bit of luck involved and you, and you create your own luck but like you need breaks to to fall your way um and, and so I just, I, yeah, I finally reached that point. I was like, well, you know, if, if this is it, if this is how my career had to, like, if my career had to end with an injury, mm-hmm. like it's been a good run. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I still, I accomplished more than my 11 year old self ever would. have. Been. <laughs> sure. And that's a really, like, really yeah. cool feeling. And now I get to, like, I decided, you know, I started practicing again in January, like, mid-January, and just hand-feeding and slowly progressed. And and I kind of had this goal. I wasn't sure I would play the French. And then I said, why not, like, go play a slam? Like, you know, it's mm. This is, this is what we, this is what I grew up playing, like yeah. wanted to play tennis for. This is what keeps me going back It's, um, it's playing at the pinnacle of the sport mm-hmm. and you need the, you know, the futures and challengers, like those are the building blocks mm-hmm. that you have to go through. And those are the opportunity, those are where you really like learn your mentality and you learn how to grind through and you learn how to win matches there, but mm-hmm nobody sets out to be a career player at the futures level. Like you start out and, and it's not to, you know, every, like that might end up that like that might be where you reach or maybe it's challengers and there's nothing like it's a tremendous accomplishment to be able to call yourself a professional tennis player at, at any level. Um, but I, for me, I like I got into the sport to play. Yeah, I went pro. I turned pro to play the Grand Slams, and, um, just to be able to give myself that opportunity again is um, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, again, I, I to your point, ask any 11-year-old across the country right now and say, hey, you're going to be number 64 in the world someday. They'd be like, yeah, I'll take that. Like, sign me yeah. up right now, please, for that fact. And so I completely hear what you're saying. And again, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I still have a laundry list of questions. No. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock – yeah, I appreciate it. I'm going to lock in here off of that and say, you know, again, Southern California Pro Circuit coming up this summer in your backyard, obviously, three events in San Diego, three events in Los Angeles. Are we going to get to see you? in some of those events as you just look for more playing opportunities? I mean, I know that protected ranking, maybe not necessarily need to go play the futures, but are you looking for matches or are you looking for the highest level matches?
1: Um, I, like Tentatively right now, I will not be playing those events. My schedule sure. looks... Um, right now, my schedule is looking like Roland Garros and then I'm going to play on the, uh, three tournaments on the grass in... Sir mm-hmm. Sertogenbosch, Queens. If the cut drops slow enough for me, for my yeah, ranking sure. to get in, and then Wimbledon qualifying. Um, mm-hmm. I've always loved the stretch on tour from June until Labor Day weekend, <laughs>
0: and yeah, of
1: course. Uh, you know that's that's really been where a lot of my results come from, a lot of my greatest memories, and you know. Funny enough, grass suits my game. It's always taken me a few weeks to start feeling confident with it. I've, I've never done great the first couple weeks in the grass, but I always seem to play well when Wimbledon comes around and, and carry that into the hardcore season. So I'm, you know, my goal is to take advantage of the protected ranking and take advantage of the grass court season and and play there but you know it's i'll certainly be following the tournament in southern cal and it's it's so great to see you know six six men six women's tournaments in i mean this is this is my backyard i've i have you know i was born in poway grew up playing all southern california tournaments went to school up north and and have come back down here and I've resided in LA for uh you know better part of seven years now. So it's just really cool to see that opportunity and see hopefully see more kids like growing up, getting the later stages of junior college, just getting that experience, kind of getting getting that first taste of what, what professional tennis really is um, mm-hmm. because it's not like professional tennis isn't the grand slams that everyone sees professional tennis is the day in day out grind at the futures level at the challenger level, working your way through those to get to the top hundred, to get to the slams. It, it's, it's easy to get caught up in that kind of the spotlight of those tournaments, but um, every everyone who you see up there had to go through, go through, this, you know, mm-hmm. go. You, there's no skipping yeah. steps.
0: No, absolutely. By the way, are you a former Maze Cup champion? I am. I, mean, I like that yeah. dude do, do where are your loyalties now because you played for stanford so there's some no
1: disrespect to northern california <laughs> and i love my fourier to stanford but i am a southern california kid at heart I, okay that's i, I, I like was up hear. at stanford um two weeks ago actually just for the week training with the guys um got a little practice in with a few of them and you know i, I there's every time i step foot on my campus it it just warms my heart. It brings like all the memory. I, you know, I was up there and I walk into the old sports cafe and the guy who runs it now, Kevin remembered my name and I hadn't seen him. And Oh God. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I think I would go back, like if I was on campus, but it's, it's been at least like six, seven years and it just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like those little things that make it really, really special. And just, you realize just the, like the community, especially like the student athlete community up there and just the student body as a whole, like, it's just, it was a really cool, I mean, it's a really special community and network to be a part of. Um, So, you know, I love that, but like I said, my parents are still in San Diego. I still live in Southern California and um, I still think San Diego is the greatest place to live yeah. <laughs> and would love like, to be back there. So it's, uh, yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, again, Mays cup, not talked about enough, like Mackie McDonald leading Northern California to a Mays cup title, probably the only in the past 50 years. Like yeah. that might be the most impressive thing he's ever done. Uh, <laughs> but that, yeah, that's just for the hardcore nerds. Last two questions for you. Yeah. You talk about college and obviously you, you referred to this a little bit earlier. has, top juniors, people like yourself, going to college, in your opinion, become less stigmatized over the past decade?
1: I would hope so. I mean, I, I'd like to think so. I, you know, I, I think, and we had, you know, there were guys before, you know, I'll throw Stevie and I in the category, and Austin Krychek was our year as well. Tennis, Sandgren, not that much younger than you sangren um i mean ryan williams was right below us the true goat to those who know (laughs) a couple other you know like you know like the guys that i grew up with that still played for a few years and got to 150 180 like chase buchanan jameer jenkins um but you still i mean you had guys like you know i remember before i was coming into college it was it was john isner it was kevin anderson um Somdev, DeVarman, like, you had, we had guys before us that kind of, and obviously, like, even further back. Um, of course, backers and,
0: well, yeah, 97 yeah, Stanford team.
1: P- paved the way, I mean, our Stanford head coach, Paul Goldstein, um, that, you know, went all four years, and so you, you've got, you got, you know, you had guys, and obviously, like, when we were, even when I was out there early on, it was, there's so few and far between though. And now, I mean, you're seeing like, it's, you look at a guy like Nori, you know, yeah. who didn't, doesn't have aim like you look at Anderson and Isner and their serve, um, is immediate an immediate weapon. And you, it, you see like, okay, yeah. Like if Isner gets hot and, and they have, the thing is they have all the other tools as well, mm-hmm. the serve stands out you look at a guy like nori who you know went to tcu for i believe it was three years and top 10 and just um setting you know setting that bar and i hope that as you continue to see more and more guys prove that it's a it's a viable path um you do see more guys giving it a try you know i think there's you can, you can certainly make an argument for both, right? Like I've seen guys go to college and they had pro aspirations and they go to college and they kind of lose their focus and they get caught up in all the, the other opportunities that college provides. And, and then you can, you know, you can make the argument, Oh, well, if they, they didn't go to college, they'd be more focused or, or, you know, it's, go pro early and start, you know, immersing yourself, you know, you want to play pro, why don't you just go do it right away and learn, um, and dive in. But I've also seen guys who have turned pro at 18 and kind of lose themselves for the first three, four years on tour because they try and recreate that, you know, we'll, we'll call it the social experience on tour, like the college social experience while on tour. And it's like, why didn't you just go to school if you want to do that? Like, if you want to have fun, like, you know, the, if you want the parties and Mm -hmm. social life, like, it's, it's hard like going, you know, that, that college provides that barrier a little bit that allows you to do it. Um it's just like you get eaten up. If you if you're not engaged hundred percent locked in, like the pro game is too tough. <laughs> like the way guys are taking care of their bodies, the nutritional aspects of it, like the fitness, um that's 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 tough to like Just blah, that's tough to do hungover.
0: Yeah, (laughs) 100%. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but shout out to my guy, a University of Michigan alum, Evan King, who might have mastered that trait better than anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it so you don't have to. I'll say it so you don't have to. But no, I, I totally see what you're saying. Like, again, it's a full commitment. It's
1: a job. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, and the the pro tour is getting older, right? Like, I mean, I would actually say that I think the these two years since COVID hit have actually reset the tour younger. Um, and you've seen it's, it's been this interesting and this is just, I don't know how true this is. This has been my observations from afar since I've basically been injured the entire time. It's just that, the ranking system has allowed the older guys to stay in because they still have I still have points from 2019 on there, and and yeah. that's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> but you know, like it's benefited me. Should it still be there? Like, I mean,
0: yeah.
1: I don't know. But I know it, it. It is. It's it's the rules. Like, it is what it is. These are the ranking rules that we have, and it, it's kept some of the older guys around, but you're also starting, you're starting to see like these guys now that the rankings are kind of mm-hmm. starting to recalibrate. You're starting to see guys stop like the older guys stop a little. I mean, we just saw Kevin stop. Um, Saturday, Simone's going to stop at the end of the year. Sanga stop into the French. Um, and you're seeing the tour reset. I I just, you're seeing these younger guys really. I mean, Al Krez is obviously the,
0: the standard, you know, he,
1: he's the man of the year so far, but it just generally it's resetting younger. Um, but I still think you've got, you know, these guys are the way people are taking care of these, their bodies. These guys are going to be able to play well into their thirties, like deep into their thirties. And if you think about a 10, 12 year career, if you like, you graduate at 21, 22, or even if you go two, three years of school and you come out at 20, 21, are you, are you really behind? Like you, if you know you wanna, if you know you wanna play pro, then you can still, you can still train the way that you'd like to in college. You can still, there's, there's resources, you know, you go to the, you find the coach that works understands your goals you do your due diligence on that and there's no reason that you can't still come out and be ready to play at the pro tour Mm
0: -hmm. yeah no i mean again as i look at all of these things I I couldn't agree more. And I do think that obviously why we here at Cracked Rackets are such advocates for college tennis because, yeah, like also, you know, it's really nice having someone else pay for your training for two, three, four years while all of your muscle is filling out and all of these different things. And so, no, I I totally understand all that. My last question for you, because I would be remiss if I did not ask it, if you could look at Ryan Thatcher and say, dude, just give me two years before you go to medical school. You guys would have been top 100 in dubs, right?
1: Uh, we were a good team. Uh, we it, It's tough. Yeah. You know, I think that we complemented each other well. Like, obviously, both lefties. Um, but game yeah. styles were a little bit different to complement each other. Uh, you know, I think more importantly than anything, like, we had fun doing it. Uh, you know, I think... Yeah. You know, I I thought we were a really good team in college, and yeah, I mean, you know, the pro tour is tough. Like, do I think we had, you know, do I think we had the ability, for sure? Like, you know, it's like I said, there's a lot of things that have to have to go right. Um, but I, I mean, I can't really. <laughs> I can't argue with this path. He's, you know, he's a phenomenal, he is going to be, I know he's still in residency, but he will be a phenomenal orthopedic surgeon. And I will absolutely be going to him when my body inevitably starts um, <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> if it hasn't already, yeah. but uh, no, I, you know, I was, I, I was really lucky I got to play A couple, I think we played a Tiburon Challenger together, and just it was, you know, it was fun. It was really fun to be out there with him. Like I know that that, you know, that was we had different aspirations in that regard. Um, I was fully set on playing professionally. You know, we we talk about it every now and then. I don't, you know, it's. I think both of our. I don't know, you know, it's easy to look back and reminisce and be like, oh, I wonder, like, I wonder how, how high we could have gotten two lefties. But, you know, it was, I look back on our, when we started playing doubles together, I guess late our freshman year. And I I look back on those three plus years that we were able to Mm -hmm. play together and just, it was, I mean, we had so much fun just playing all the tournaments, a yeah, this- couple, you know, a couple heartbreakers at NCAAs, but also a couple, like, I still remember, our, I still got a picture somewhere floating around my apartment or, or at home of <laughs> us, like, celebrating after winning our semifinal. And I, I think it might have been the most. It was that junior year when we were playing at home, and, and mm. Ryan's – very even keel that just has a really good demeanor, like a very calm demeanor, but that NCAAs, I have never seen him get so fired up after damage on and getting the crowd involved. And then the doubles, it was, you know, that, that was pretty, pretty special. And, you know, I'm, I think more than anything, Ryan is still one of my closest friends. Um, to this day and I think that just speaks volumes about him but also just the time we had at Stanford and and juniors I mean you know we grew up playing together in Southern California we went to school together I, I think that's it's a pretty pretty cool thing about uh ten- the tennis community and just you know I think it speaks volumes to him as well
0: yeah, uh, him over Damajan is a match I'll never forget, like, to your point. Like, that's the one that's, like, stapled in the brain. Like, I remember being like, oh, my God. Is And this yeah. is before the live stream era when you're, like, scrounging for YouTube clips after the match. And you're like, someone yeah. just show me something. And so, yeah, no, it's the right. best. Um, and again, yeah, I, I mean look, you guys are better than Austin and Jeff. Like I'll, I'll say it. Austin, if you're listening to this, you guys, you know, yeah, I wanted to see again, the final we were looking for was Rolla Buchanan Klon Thatcher. Cause that, that's what we deserved. And uh, yeah, look again, if the cutoff line isn't where it needs to be in Europe and you come home, I'm pretty sure you and Ryan Ryan could suit up tomorrow and go <laughs> six out of seven finals in the Southern California pro circuit. And so, uh, uh yeah. I gotta see if, he's, see if he's dusted off the rackets in a while. He's, The serve would be tough. The serve would be tough. But uh, you guys will make enough returns. It'll happen. Uh, But again, with all of that said, Brad, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Obviously, it is so great to see you back on court or looking forward to seeing you back on court and just healthy and enjoying yourself. And so really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and enjoy the Europe swing, my friend.
1: My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was great
0: catching up. Yeah, of course. Be safe, be healthy. We'll chat more soon. Thank you. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with 2010 NCAA singles champion Bradley Klon. A huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat. He said, yeah, I've got 30 minutes for you. And then, as you listeners can tell, once we started talking, it was very difficult to stop such insight from him. I mean, again, you can tell the man spent a couple of years on that Stanford campus. Really appreciate him taking the time to chat, wishing him more than anything else health, but of course success as well as he tries to regain his footing on the Pro Tour. And anyone who watched Bradley Klon knows he's got the top 100 skill set. Can he stay healthy enough to take advantage of that skill set? Hopefully we can get another 12, 24, 36, maybe even a couple of years out of Brad, because again, one of the formative players of my childhood and a guy I know every, you know, unanimous approval rating. There's no one out there rooting against Bradley Klon. So really appreciate him taking the time to chat. Of course, as I mentioned at the top as well, we're doing a lot of chatting this week here at Cracked Rackets. have had some fantastic guests on our podcast. You go over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can hear from just about every college tennis coach still alive in the 2022 NCAA tournament. You head over to our mini break podcast feed. You'll get to hear my conversation with the legend, Tracy Austin, who joined us on the show to talk about the upcoming Southern California Pro Circuit, also the Carlos Alcaraz sensation, her own career, and so much more. Jam-packed times here at Cracked Rackets. And for all of that content, head on over to our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the mini break podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our coverage if you need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets you want to message me directly, I am at AL Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, to our friends at Turner. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today with all of that said for our fantastic guest, Bradley Klon, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.